Hard to see, isn't it? <laughs> a simple, ordinary, common, everyday quarter. That's what I'm holding. Just a simple, ordinary, everyday quarter. You know, quarters have been used for I don't know how long to decide <clears throat> certain contests. Maybe who gets the last piece of pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving, I don't know. You know, we flip a coin and we say, heads or tails? A coin is used to determine football overtimes. Heads or tails? Uh, usually when we're at Green Valley, I don't carry any money with me, so it gets very difficult when down there uh, playing softball to decide which team goes first, because I seldom have a quarter, so I take a rock and scratch one side and leave the other side unscathed or something, but heads or tails, quarter, we're all very familiar with how it works. But what I want to focus on tonight for the sake of this sermon is not the opposites, heads or tails, on a quarter, but the fact that Heads and tails are opposite sides of the same one coin. They're opposite sides of the same thing. Okay? One cannot exist without the other. You cannot have a one-sided coin. You can slice it as thin as you want, but it's still going to have two sides. You cannot have a one-sided coin. You cannot lose one side of this coin and have the other one with you. You either lose them both or you keep them both. They're both part of the same exact entity. And you know, when we flip a coin, right? When we flip the coin in midair, both sides of the coin rotate at exactly the same speed. While they spin, both of them spin at the same exact rate. You can't tell the heads from the tails apart when it's in the air. When this coin is flipped, one side leads to the other, right? And then that side leads to the other, and then that side leads right round and round and round and round and round and round, round. One side empowers the other to keep spinning. One side keeps the other spinning. They work together so perfectly, but they all they do is you flip this over, is that they work together perfectly to bring the other side back around, back again, until, until the coin once again lies dead and still inactive with no energy involved. I want for us to consider tonight that illustration and how it talks, or, or how it illustrates two biblical spiritual traits, or two spiritual biblical parts of the same coin that we both could probably use a lot more of in our lives, each and every one of us, and that is this, joy, and strength, or strength and joy, whichever heads and tails, they're both parts of the same coin, right? We're going to do this in a sermon entitled, Strengthening Our Joy, Rejoicing in Our Strengthening. This, this is a concept that is quite simple, but we see it again and again throughout the scriptures. Matter of fact, I've got more illustrations than I decided to use tonight, or, or more, more text than I decided to use, that show us this time and time again. The more joy that we have in Christ, the more our Christian strength. The more Christian strength we have, the more joy in Christ we have. Around and around, one fuels and empowers the other. Like heads and tails are two sides of the same coin which work together perfectly to provide power to the other when it is put into action. The same is true with joy and strength. 
two sides that work perfectly together to empower and strengthen the other when they are put into action. It's sort of like weight loss, okay? I used to be a lot heavier, okay? And, and some of us are, have, have had this experience of we're gonna lose some weight. Man, when you go to lose some weight, and you, you, you kind of got a little bit of strength and you kind of eat the things you should and you kind of don't eat the things that you shouldn't and, and you begin that process and you step on the scales and you've lost like four pounds, right? You go, yeah, right? Joy. What does that joy lead you to? It leads you to more strength that day and the next day to try to take off more, right? And the more joy that you have that you're losing some weight, the more strength you have to continue to try to lose weight and the more strength you have to try to lose weight, the more joy you have as you lose more weight. It, it, round and round and round and round and round. The same concept is in the scriptures. Again, on two things we could all use a lot more of in our Christianity, probably, in our daily lives, and that is strength and joy. And, and I want to show you how this works in the scriptures. Please open your Bibles with me to John chapter 16. John 16. Now, to, to kind of set this up, Jesus, as we know from our adult class, as we know from our own personal study, Jesus is about to be crucified. Jesus is spending his last few hours pre crucifixion with his disciples. And the first thing that he hammers home again and again and again with them is how he wants them to have joy. Okay? Yes, I said John 16, but just keep in mind how this plays out. In John 15, 11, he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. Tells them right there, you've got to have my fullness of joy. Then in John 16, where I asked you to turn, beginning at verse 20, he says, most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Do you see it? Verse 20, he uses the word joy. Verse 21, he uses the word joy. Verse 23, he's going to use the word joy. He says, therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to die. Three days later, they're going to see him. And this is going to give them incredible joy. And he's telling them that night, this is what you've got to have. You see, Jesus knew that night how difficult their lives were going to get. He knew how much strength they were going to need. But he knew their strength would come from their joy at seeing him again. He knew that they needed that joy to fuel their strength. Again, in John 17, in verse 13, he prays to God that they may have his joy fulfilled in themselves. So in chapters 15, 16, and 17, Jesus keeps hammering this point. I want you to have my joy. I want you to have my joy. I want you to have my joy. Because he knows it's going to get really, really tough. But he said, in chapter 16, verse 22, I will see you again, your heart will rejoice, and your joy, no one, no one will take from you. When you see me again, and I'm resurrected, and you see me, you're going to have a joy that nobody can take from you. So we see the joy side of the coin. It was that joy at seeing him again, knowing that he had overcome death, you know what that gave them? Great strength. That joy at seeing him alive gave them incredible strength. Look with me in Acts chapter 2. Look at the strength 
that their joy at seeing him again and spending time with him resurrected gave them. In, in Acts chapter 2, here's Peter. Peter, the apostle that denied him that, that night with a curse. Peter, the disciple who along with the rest of them had deserted him that night. And then when, when they see Jesus again, they have this joy and that joy gave them such strength. Here's Peter standing in front of basically the same crowd that's just nailed Jesus to the cross or had him nailed to the cross. The very same group that, that Peter and the other apostles have fled from that night. But now the joy at seeing Jesus has given him incredible strength. Look what he says in Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, have crucified, and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible he should be held by it. Do you see the strength his joy gave him at seeing Jesus? This ain't the same Peter that was there that night. In John 15, 16, and 17. This is a Peter who has seen the joy of his resurrected Lord, and nobody would take that joy from him, and it gave him a pile driver strength. Their joy at seeing and being with the resurrected Christ gave them great strength and boldness and courage to keep repeating this same message no matter what people did to him. Look in Acts chapter 3, verse 12. In Acts 3, verse 12. Look what Peter does here. Right after he heals this lame man. It says, when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the Prince of Life. Wow, Peter, where'd you get that strength? Peter got that strength from the joy of seeing the resurrected Lord and spending 40 days with him, realizing that death could not beat him. His joy gave him great Strength. Nobody was taking it away. And we see this as we, as we continue on. Just when he's brought before the rulers, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, all of those who were in the high priest's home in Acts 4 and verse 5. Look what he says in chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Look, look at his strength. They called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Today's vernacular, we might say, well, that's kind of a dull statement, right? For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We can't help but speak these things. Again, in chapter 5, check this out. The strength, their joy in seeing him again led them to have is evident again. Look at this strength. Acts 5, 27 to 33, look at it. When they had brought them and set them before the council and the high priest asked them, saying, didn't we strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. You, 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 how dare you is the implication. But Peter, verse 29, the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey, to obey God rather than men. 
The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered. Boy, Peter, wow, really? These guys can have your head too, don't you? Yeah, he knew. But he's so full of joy, he was so strengthened. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. <laughs> Nobody took Peter's joy at spending those 40 days talking to the Lord. Nobody was stealing it ever again. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. <laughs> Do you know the little jab that Peter just got in? Well, we understand it because God gave us the Holy Spirit whom he gives to those who obey him. What's the implication? You don't obey him, so you don't get the Spirit, so you don't get it. Wow, Peter. Now, understand what that led to. In chapter 5, what that led to, the joy they had at seeing the resurrected Christ led them to have the kind of strength that we've just talked about. That kind of strength, remember the coin flip? That kind of strength would bring them right back around to more joy. Look with me in chapter 5 at the very end, verses 40 and 41. When they had agreed with him, that's when they had agreed um, with Gamaliel, a member of the council, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council Doing what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Their strength, their strength to take a beating for the Lord, their strength to stand up for the Lord, that was based on their joy at seeing him resurrected, that strength caused them to endure a beating. And so when they left there filled with that strength and they realized that they'd had the strength to face that for the Lord, what did it lead to? More rejoicing. See how one just turns right over onto the other again and again and again and again. Strength leads to joy. Joy leads to strength, just like a coin flip over and over. And I know I'm repeating that, but I really want you. The next time, and I realize we mostly pay with plastic now, but the next time that you reach in your pocket and grab a quarter, you reach in your purse, grab a quarter, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember how these work together. One causes the other, the other, the other. They work together and fuel and sustain each other once they're put in motion, just like the heads and tails of a coin. It's interesting, Peter talks about this. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll see the same flipping right over and over and over again in Peter's writing. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, Peter is an apostle, he's writing to these people who have been dispersed or have had to flee from their homes because they're Christians. Verse three of chapter one of 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's the power and the joy. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. What's the first thing he does? He says, okay, here's what you got because of the resurrection of Jesus. This is where your joy comes from. He establishes one side. Here's the joy. But look what he tells them is going to happen. They're going to need that joy. Why? 
because they're going to need the strength that comes from it. Look at verse 6 again. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though you now do not see him, yet you believe and what? Rejoice with joy inexpressible. There it is. First few verses, he says, here's your joy. What you got waiting for you? That joy is going to give you the strength to go through these earthly trials. And when you have that kind of strength to go through these earthly trials because of the joy of your heavenly inheritance, when you have that and you go through these trials, what's going to happen is that strength is going to cause you to have even more joy. Verse 9, you're going to be filled with joy inexpressible when you go through these things, receiving as the outcome the salvation of your souls. It leads to even more abundant joy. He says, so that you will rejoice with joy inexpressible. And it's not just the New Testament. Look at me in the Old Testament in Isaiah, if you would, please. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35. And there were others that, that we could have gone to. If you, if you read through the scriptures looking for this, you will see it quite a number of times. But look at me right now, just briefly, in Isaiah chapter 35. In verses 3 and 4, there's a passage that ought to sound familiar. It's re-quoted, or it's quoted in Hebrews. Look what he says. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, Isaiah 35, 3, now 4. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Notice the message of verses 3 and 4. Strength. Be strong. Be strengthened. Strength. Then he goes on to tell them in the next few verses, verses 5 through 9, why? Because God is going to come and God is going to make this all right again. God is going to fix this mess. Be strong. Be strengthened. Because God is going to take care of this. And when God takes care of this, when God builds this, this highway of holiness, when God causes this Christ to come, because this is a messianic prophecy, look what it's going to lead to. Verse 10. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Verses 3 and 4, be strong. Here's why. Because being strong and waiting upon the Lord is going to flip over and lead to your joy. And we could, as I said, see this several places, but the one that I really want for us to take a look at tonight, the one where it really comes together and explains it the best, is, is the one that is in Nehemiah. Please turn with me to Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8 explains, in part, this inseparable nature between joy and strength and how they're really the same thing. Just like heads and tails are, are two sides of the same coin, joy and strength are, are two different things, and yet they are one. They are inseparable. They work perfectly together. And, and he really explains this in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 when he says, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He says they're the same thing. 
The joy of the Lord is your strength. They're inseparable. They fail or they grow together. It's as simple as that. Let's take a look at the history here of this particular text. Let's really get into this a little bit. In Nehemiah 8, verse 1, all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the, high, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read it in the open square that was in front of the water gate, watch this, from morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which had been made for the purpose. He threw a list of men who stood with him. It says there in verse 5, he opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered amen while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with faces to the ground. Notice what they did. They stood. They didn't have padded pews, and if they did, they didn't use them. They stood. They were not in a, in a nice building with air conditioning and heat and all this comfort. They stood in the open square. They stood in the open square for hours, from morning until midday, for hours, listening to the word of God, attentively. Don't lose sight of that. Verses 8 through 10 go on to say, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. They gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They, they were sorry for what they had done. But he said to them, verse 10, Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow. Do not sorrow. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, do not sorrow because if you do, you're not going to be strong for the Lord. You need to rejoice in the Lord in order to be strong in the Lord. Do not sorrow. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't let your strength... Listen, some of us some days feel as though Satan gets to us and we just don't have the strength. We don't have the strength we should. You know why? Because we don't have the joy we should. If the joy of the Lord is your strength and you're not strong enough, that means that we are not realizing the joy that ought to be ours as Christians enough because the joy of the Lord is our strength. They're opposite sides of the same coin. And then, please notice, the joy of the Lord, which was their strength, where it came from. Notice where it came from. First off, from understanding the word of God. It said several times about understanding the Word of God. We talked this morning about being involved in Bible study, constant Bible study, so that you can know. But it doesn't stop there. Their joy was completed and multiplied then, hear me carefully, by their working together to carry out that which God's Word said. That's, that is an integral part of this. 
understanding God's will and then carrying it out together as one united force gave them even more strength and joy. We would read on here in verses 11 through 17 and see this. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still for the day is holy, don't be grieved. All the people went their way to eat and drink to send portions and, and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that had been declared from them. Understanding the word of God, understanding what you've been given gives you joy and that joy gives you strength and that, that strength gives you the ability to work together as one and that gives you more joy and it's just this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful circle, this evolution. We'll see that right here. Continue reading with me. Verse 13. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, the priests, the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain, bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. They understood this was part of what God wanted them to do together. And so the people went out, verse 16, brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in their courthouses, I'm sorry, courtyards or in the courts of the house of God, in the open square of the water gate, in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly, all of them, they all had this common mission. They had this common goal. They're, they're strengthened by the word of the Lord. That's given them joy. They understand it. So now they're going out and they're going to work together in this, this common mission, this common goal. The whole assembly did it. Verse 17, of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel hadn't done so. And there was what? What does your Bible say? I don't want to hear it out loud, but just look at it. Mine says, and so... There was very great gladness. Not just gladness, not just joy, not just Very great gladness. Understanding led to joy. The joy of the Lord was their strength and enabled them to work together to accomplish a common mission. And when they did that, it brought them even more joy. The cycle continues. What an amazing cycle. What a beautiful cycle. What an empowering cycle. But notice also that they're working together in the mission that God gave them was what had allowed them to get to this point where they could even meet in the first place. This working together is one to accomplish a common goal. Strength to joy, joy to strength. This wasn't anything new, okay? If you know the first seven chapters of the book of Nehemiah, you know how in chapter 1, verse 13, as well as chapter 4 and verse 2, it tells us that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. It was a bunch of rubble. It looked like an atomic bomb had hit that place. It was just a mess. Burned with fire. It was a mess. What did people do? They set their minds and their hands to work. That's what they did. The people set their hands and minds to this good work. We see this in chapter 2, verse 18, and chapter 4, verse 6. Chapter 3 is one of the most, it may be one of those verses, like in Deuteronomy, sometimes you get some of those verses, or Exodus, those chapters where you think, I'm never going to understand this, I can't read through this, I can't retain this. And, and you know, we all have those chapters, right? And Nehemiah 3 is one of those chapters that you might think of that way. But the first time I really got the point of chapter 3, I, a light bulb, it, wow! Let me sum up for you chapter 3 and then you go home and read it. 
What you're going to find in chapter 3 is in the very first verse or two where it talks about the first little group that are working on their corner of the wall. That's going to say, and next to them work this group, and next to them work this group, and next to them work this group. If you go around that whole circle, you're going to find out that the very last group it mentions worked right next door to the very group it started with. The entire circle. Every one of them, the whole, the whole bunch of them, they were working together for a common goal. They were working together to accomplish what God wanted accomplished. They, they, one right next to the other, all the way, it's a complete circle when you read that entire chapter. And the first time that dawned on me, it's like, boom! It's a beautiful thing in chapter 3. Chapter 4, their adversaries became angry, conspired against them, and sought to create confusion. We see this in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. But you know what the people did? They stood together as one. No matter what their enemies said or did or conspired against them or sought to create confusion, they stood together as one. They covered for and had each other's back, and they never stopped moving forward in their God-given mission. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 11 through 23. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, they did not even allow the lies that their enemies invented to cause fear and confusion stop them. They didn't let it sap their strength and determination to finish their mission. This cycle of strength to joy is seen here again. Their strength and determination shows in chapters 1 through 7 to complete their mission. That allowed the events of chapter 8 where their strength turned to joy. That allowed their joy to turn to strength to do the feast, which allowed them to have even more joy, and the cycle went on. You know, it is not only crucial, at least for any of us who could honestly use a little bit more joy and strength in our Christianity, it is not only crucial to understand that our joy comes directly from our strength and that our strength comes directly from our joy. So the more of one we have, the more of the other we have. When I take this quarter back out and I flip it, it's not going to show me heads ten times to one to tails, right? It's always exact proportion, one to the other. And strength to joy and joy to strength is that same way. They work together. The more one increases, when I flip that coin, the faster it goes, and I flip it even faster. The faster one side goes, the faster the other side goes. So we must understand where such joy-increasing strength and strength-increasing joy comes from. And that's when we all, every one of us, every one of us, come to understand what the will of the Lord is. And we fully commit ourselves, our hearts, our hands, our minds, our attitudes, our souls, and our resources to working together side by side in the one common goal or mission that God has given us to accomplish. Philippians 1.27 through 2.5, we see an example of this. There is simply nothing that is much more strengthening, nothing that is much more joy or rejoicing producing than when we are all willing to understand God's will and work together in one common mission to glorify God. There's a lot of us went door knocking a couple of years ago. Y'all remember that? 
That was one of the coolest days I've had in Shoto. And I ain't talking about the weather. It was awesome. 45 of us, 44 or 45 of us. That was incredible. We filled the half a pizza corral at lunchtime and we were knocking doors and going on buses and, and wasn't, how many, okay. I don't know if I want to ask for raising of hands, but I, I won't, we'll just think about this. I know that a lot of you that are here went on that trip. I doubt that there would be 10% of you who would say that that was not a joy and strength producing day for you. Might not have produced a lot of results in souls harvested, but it was a day that gave you joy and it gave you strength. Is that a fair statement? Didn't that just make you feel awesome working together for God? That's the point, brethren. And that joy gives you strength. Paul, Paul went over this so many times. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. I'm not going to turn there, but just think about it. Read it later. If you read Philippians chapter 1, you will see that Paul's joy, number one, was found in his fellowship with those who were committed with him to the common goal of spreading and defending the gospel. And then that very same joy helped to provide him with the strength to endure whatever he faced, even if it was death. That joy he had gave him the strength to face whatever he needed to, which was then going to lead to more joy when he was released and went back to them, which he said he needed to stay for their, their strengthening. Round and round and round. Not only there, but if you read Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Euodia and Syntyche, we know the story, right? You'll see that same truth. That same truth regarding the relationship between joy and strength and how these are both increased by the brethren's working together toward a common goal once again. Do you remember what Paul told them in Philippians 4, 1 through 3? He said, work with these women. Work with these women. Paul explains how his brethren in that passage are his joy and crown, and therefore how they needed to work with these two women. They need to have the strength to help rebuild this relationship between the two of them so they could go on to labor even harder for the Lord together in Philippi. And you know what that was going to lead to? Philippians 4, 1 through 3, you know what that was going to lead to? More joy, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice the Lord always. You didn't know I was going to preach this tonight, did you, brother? That song was perfect, right? He said, my brethren, I'm a joy and crown. Be strong enough to work with these women because if you can do that and you can all start working together again, that's going to give you even more joy. Round, 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 round. Joy leads to strength. Strength leads to joy leads to strength. Christian need to understand that while they work together like heads and tails of a coin, while they fuel each other, while they turn at the same rate on all of those things, this coin that's in my pocket, it's got to have something to get it going because as it lays here, it's dead. Right now, they're not going round and round. Right now, they're not empowering each other. Right now, they're not amounting to anything. There's no life in the spin. There's no action that goes with it. You see, brethren, we've got to understand that one of the single greatest, most biblically verified ways to get them both spinning, our joy to lead to our strength, and round and round and round, is when God's children supply the strength and put it into action in one common mission to obey God's word and increase his kingdom. That's what happened here. We've got to say, okay, I'm gonna take this quarter and I am gonna flip it. 
We have got to say, we're gonna take this mission God has given us and we're gonna go to work on it. We're gonna put our minds and hearts into it. We're gonna do this together. We're gonna to each build on our little corner of the wall. We are gonna do this. And, and as we build it up and we face foes and all those things happen, it'll give us joy and joy lead to strength and Christianity will be more powerful than it's ever been. Isn't that awesome? That's the way this works. You know, we can talk about door knocking and all of those things, but the truth of the matter is we only door knock once every few years. And like the people on the wall were spread out, chapter three, but they were still working and covering for one another, we're spread out during the week. We work in different places, we do different things, we're spread all over maybe two or three different counties. We're far apart and away from each other. But what we need to be able to do is all understand we've got our own little section that we need to work on. We've got our own little section of people. We need to rebuild the Lord's church. We need to, to rebuild the temple, as it were. And I realize that the church is not a temple, but we need to rebuild the house of God. Let me put it in those terms. <coughs> And so each of us has this little place, our circle of friends that we need to work on. We're, we're kind of we're spread out, but that's okay. And, and when the enemy comes and when confusion comes in and, and when things come in and seek to stop the building up of the church here in Shoto in our little corner of the world, we've got to have each other's back. We've got to defend each other. We've got to work together toward this common goal and not let it be stopped. This is our mission. Let me ask you something. Would it bring you more joy in your Christianity? I really, really, really want you to think about this. Would it bring you more joy in your Christianity? Would you feel good about your Christianity? And I realize Christianity is not based on feelings, but it does help to feel good about your Christianity. They don't drive it. Would it feel good? Would it give you joy if you led somebody to Christ? If you really led somebody to Christ who stayed faithful, would that give you joy? Huh? And, and, and that joy? That joy, if, if you saw them baptized into Christ and they come out of that water and they became one of the strongest Christians over the next few years and they went and taught somebody else, would that not only give you joy, but would that strengthen you to go find somebody else? Once you got the first one, wouldn't you want the second one? And the more strength you had at seeing that would fuel more joy. And the more joy you had, the more strength you'd have. And on and on and on. And the coin would go over and over and over and over and over. Brethren, if you need more joy and strength in your spiritual life, if Christianity or, you know, winter's coming, if we kind of got the doldrums and we're kind of, well, you know, and here we are and yada yada and life goes on and blah, blah, blah. If we're kind of in that state and we can get there if we're not careful, if you need more joy and you need more strength, there's time to get out of the pew it's time to get out of your comfort zone. It's time to get out there and actually work together as one, as best we can, all of us in the same mission to lead somebody to Jesus. And that'll give you a joy and a strength that you won't believe. We all need to help each other to build up this corner of the kingdom right here in Shoto. Because if not... I might as well stay there. Status quo. Well, I'll go to church Sunday and Wednesday, you know. Can't do it. No wonder we're joyless some days. I want to close with this thought. The word sorrow only occurs twice in the book of Nehemiah. Just twice. Once when he mourned and wept and had sadness and sorrow of his heart because the Lord's 
city was broken down and God's people were not working together to build it back up. Nehemiah chapters one and two. You'll see the word sorrow there. He sorrowed over the state and condition of God's house, if you will. The only other time the word sorrow appears in the book of Nehemiah is after God's people did get busy and they did have this common mission and they did work together and they did accomplish the goal and they did have God's help and they met in that square that morning in Nehemiah chapter eight. And they stood there for hours listening to the word of God. They had accomplished it, brethren. They had stuck together despite everything that was thrown at them by the world. And when he says then, in chapter 8 and verse 10, the second occurrence of the word sorrow in the entire book where he says, don't do it. Do not sorrow. Why? I'm asking why. He tells you, do not sorrow. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I don't want you to wonder what this is. <laughs> what I want you to see is that it's the same coin. <laughs> he said, don't sorrow. The joy of the Lord is your strength. See, brethren, the choice is simple. Choice is ours. Sadness. Sorrow. And the status quo, while the Lord's house continues to shrink or is in shambles, or the joy and the strength, and the strength and the joy that can only come from us all working together to build his house up stronger right here in Shoto. That's our choices. If you could use more joy and strength in your Christianity, but you need the prayers of the church to reach out to that one person you've been kind of waiting to talk to, no matter what age, from our teens to our most mature silver-haired member, that one person that you've been waiting to talk to or, or to talk to anybody because you just don't have that kind of strength. If you need the prayers of the church, we will pray for you. We'll pray for us all because we all need help with somebody, right? You can come forward tonight and say, I need help. I want to reach this person. You can get focused. You can understand what your work on this corner of the wall is, what you need to do, and you just need God's strength. We'll pray for you. We'll do it right now, just like we did this morning. You come down front before we even close the service. We'll pray for you to have that strength. Does God still answer the prayers of a righteous man? Does God answer the prayers of those whose sins have been cleansed and they're righteous in his sight by the blood? God will answer our prayers. Or if you've never been baptized into Christ, if you've never become a part of the family of God, we'd love to baptize you into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Joy and strength are yours for the taking. The question is, will you, as we stand and sing?